Hi, welcome to Adulthood Pente Podcast. I'm Brittany. I'm Annalise. And I'm Kimmy. We are a podcast for college students, recent graduates, or anyone else who is figuring out that being an adult isn't as simple as it's made out to be. Join us each episode as we share how we are navigating our careers, post-grad lives, and the whole adulting experience. we're going to be diving into our identities as Asians, specifically Asian Americans, and how that has influenced our adulthood experience. Something that you might have noticed if you've listened to our podcast or randomly stumbled upon it is that we did not immediately announce to the world that we were Asian American hosts or like Asian American women, which I feel like could be different than the other podcasts that you see within the adulting sphere. So I thought it'd be like kind of interesting to bring up why we didn't do that. So I think we went into this podcast with the intention of focusing on adulthood Mm -hmm. and just navigating that phase in our lives. But after a couple episodes, we thought, you know, hey, this is part of us that that we can't necessarily talk about all parts of adulthood without addressing our identities as well. So we wanted to do an episode that talked about that. Yeah, we also thought that there are so many great podcasts that are already out there that are focused on the Asian Mm -hmm. or Asian American experience. Mm -hmm. Um, We just wanted to have something that was a little more broad and didn't focus on that one aspect of our identities because so many factors are going into our experience as adults. Mm -hmm. Before we start, we just want to address that there are many issues commonly touched on in relation to Asians and the Asian American identity, such as the model minority myth, fetishizing Asian women and Asian culture, Asians in pop culture, and microaggressions. But because there are other resources that are available for our listeners, we decided not to cover them in this episode, but we'll list some podcasts and some other resources in the episode description that do cover these issues more in depth. So the fun question for today's episode is, what's a Asian superstition that you believe in or believed in growing up or currently believe in? So a superstition that I heard growing up as like my family members were buying houses was that you didn't want your staircase of the house to like point toward the front door because that means that all of your Mm. money is going to wash away. But in general, with like all these superstitions, my parents don't really talk a lot about them. And I feel like that's why I, first of all, don't know too many of them. And then I also just don't really believe in them. Um, Sorry, I guess. Yes. Because I, I'm a non believer. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. What, what was yours? I have many because I believe in all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's just because like my mom really believed it or like instilled it on us that mm-hmm. growing up, I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this. I can't do that. Um, one thing I remember was when I was a kid, um, I had this nice like headband and it had white on it or something. And I put on my head and my mom like freaked out. She's like, no, you can't wear white on your head because it means your mother's dead. And I was like, oh my mm-hmm. God. And I like <laughs> took it off instantly. And like since then I haven't, I've been like really scared to wear white on my head. It's just one of many that I believe in. (laughs) So um, I think, I don't know if it's just my family or what in particular, but my family was very um, superstitious of ghosts in the Philippines. Mm. And Mm. so like one funny thing I remember, my, um, I never did this because I don't really believe in ghosts, but my uncle, I guess he was like paranoid (laughs) or he wanted like catch ghosts so he would like sprinkle i think it was like powdered soap like detergent um so you could see the footsteps go throughout the house oh it was a ghost don't ghosts float (laughs) (laughs) rationalize that with him So for, to give context for our listeners, um, on paper, what would you say is your Asian American identity? And do you feel like you experience a discrepancy between that and what you personally feel? Immediately, what comes to mind for me is anytime when I'm doing job applications, they always ask for your race as like a way to identify you. 
and they basically give you six options with six options for race and then the seventh for ethnicity. So in that situation, like I check Asian, but then when I get to that ethnicity part, they ask if you're like Latinx or Hispanic. And then it states like, yes, I am Hispanic or Latinx, but not of any of the ones above, meaning that you're like solely only that one thing. So Mm -hmm. I think in that situation, like my identity being a mixed person is kind of difficult because I'm like, well, I'm both. So then I just put like opt out, you know, I don't want Mm. to be asked this question, Mm. but purely like my identity is like Japanese, Chinese, and Mexican from different um, generations. Can I ask why you decide to opt out as as opposed to selecting like no or or other or yes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think if I were to opt out, okay, well, like opting out for me is basically not choosing because in the situations where I have to choose, then it's like you have to pick one. And then Mm -hmm. I don't want to necessarily claim like, hispanic or latinx because i like i'm not necessarily passing in that way Mm. so i feel like i haven't gone through the same experiences that those people have Mm. but like Mm -hmm. that is still a part of my identity but then i don't want to pick only asian because it it erases the other Mm. part Mm. so i'm like oh whatever (laughs) doesn't matter so yes interesting Britt, um, you also identify as being mixed. So I was wondering, what does that look like for you? And do you feel a discrepancy at all between what you put down on paper versus what you actually are? Yeah, so I identify as first generation Japanese Filipino American. And I feel like there is a discrepancy. Mm -hmm. I feel like parts of my respective cultures have been diluted not only from being in America my whole life but also being from a family where each respective parent doesn't necessarily identify with the cultures and practices of um, each person so Mm -hmm. yeah even though I am first generation I feel like I even skew on the side of like identifying a second generation in terms of I'm not super connected to a lot of the cultural norms of you know um Filipino or Japanese culture Mm -hmm. so to clarify we recognize that there are different interpretations of what it means to be first generation some people understand it as being the first generation to immigrate to the United States and others will interpret it as the first generation to be born in the country. Mm-hmm. So for this episode, we will be referring to first generations as the first generation in one's family to be born in the States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Annalise, how would you give context to your personal identity? So I am East Asian. Um, my mom is from Shanghai, China, and my dad is from Taiwan. So I usually just tell people that I'm Asian. <laughs> but I know that that's not fully accurate just because Asian encompasses like all of Asia and Asia is a huge continent. Yeah. And so I I usually say Asian just because I feel like that that's what a lot of people in America can more or less grasp easier yeah. easily. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but like East Asian is really what I identify as. Mhm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to avoid saying Chinese just because I know that there's like a lot of debate between Taiwan being a part of China or not oh interesting okay yeah so like for me when I say Chinese I I feel like I'm not acknowledging my Taiwanese identity so then Annalise are you also you said you're also first generation yes I am first generation yep so I was born my sister and I were both born in Massachusetts and my parents were not they were born um in China and Taiwan Annalise, you have a really um, unique upbringing, I think, in Mm -hmm. technically you're, I don't want to put this identity on you, but an international student being, Mm -hmm. growing up in Shanghai, but I don't know, is that something you personally identify with? Because it's being friends with you for so long, it's not something that you talk about very Mm -hmm. frequently. 
Yeah. So I definitely think like growing up, I was like, yeah, I'm an international student for sure. But then coming, going to college and realizing, seeing other international students, I found it hard to identify with them just because I am a U.S. citizen. And a lot of the issues that were talked about with other international students was like topics surrounding them not being U.S. citizens, like visas and, you know, even getting a driver's license without a U.S. ID. And that just wasn't something that I could identify with. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really fully associate myself as being international just because I felt like I couldn't understand the struggles or some of the topics that they were discussing. Mm-hmm. But I did grow up in Shanghai. So as I said, I was born in the States. And then when I was a few months old, so when I was really young, our whole family moved to Shanghai and I grew up there all for 18 years I lived there and I didn't actually our family didn't leave or move Shanghai until I graduated high school but I attended an international school and I I always tell people this just because I I have like this fear of them saying oh my goodness but your English is so good Mm. so I always preface like oh I was born in the states but I grew up in Shanghai and I attended an international school like I have to say that full sentence for them Mm. when I introduce myself and where I'm from so, but so, okay. So to give it context, when I say international school, I'm speaking specifically to schools in overseas. So for me, it was a school in Shanghai that followed mm. the U.S. education system entirely. And these schools were built way back when, when a uh-huh. lot of um, expats, yeah. expatriates moved to China overseas and their family wanted them to still be a part of the American or the Western culture, the Western school system. And so they developed Mm -hmm. or they founded these schools with the intention of purely putting their kids into these schools so they could still grow up with a Western education system. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting because Mm -hmm. actually at my school, one of the qualifications to even apply to attend these international schools was you had to have a an international passport and by international i mean non-chinese passport Mm -hmm. interesting i know that so then since like when because technically when you were in shanghai going to school there like you were international attending an international school you were Mm -hmm. american but you spent all of your childhood then there so when did you realize that you were like asian american or when did you start using that identity um well we would come back to boston every summer pretty much growing up so pretty much anytime i stepped foot in america i was like Mm. i'm asian (laughs) (laughs) because my school at least like yeah we were all technically international students like we all had foreign passports Mm -hmm. but i would say my year was like 99 percent chinese or like 99 percent east asian actually Mm -hmm. it was just a very very large um east asian population at my school and so i wasn't i guess it wasn't it would only be when i came to america and i would see like a lot of white people that i was like oh i do not look like them Mm. and hearing my parents speak with like an accent and i'm like well Mm. i don't my parents don't sound like other parents in this country Mm -hmm. and so yeah Mm. but i guess i'm curious then about you two then because both of you were born in california southern california Mm-hmm. And so when did you realize you're Asian or Asian American? Or was it, I guess, something that you were just always aware of? I mean, similar to Annalise, I feel like just in general, geography plays a role into figuring out kind of who you are. So in your instance, like you were in Shanghai living your life and then you came to Boston and you're like, oh, I'm Asian American because I'm surrounded by Americans. and Mm -hmm. for me like growing up in southern california which is pretty mixed so there's a lot of different Mm -hmm. races and ethnicities here the town that i live in isn't or at least initially growing up wasn't that diverse over time it's become super diverse um Mm -hmm. but like literally in elementary school in my grade of like probably 100 to 200 kids there was like five Asian students. And then Mm. when I went to middle school, there was maybe 12. And that was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, 600, 800 kids. And then in high school, 
because it's like a joining of different neighborhoods. Just because one neighborhood mm. is predominantly more Asian than the one I'm in, there was more Asian students there. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, I feel like reflecting back on it, I recognized my identity early, like when I was in elementary school, because I did have friends like with those Asian kids. But then when I went to middle school, mm -hmm. I remember very distinctly at my promotion ceremony in eighth grade. So like me and like the eight other Asian kids. And I had, of course, like other friends, but we were taking photos and I was like, okay, now it's the time for all the Asians to take a photo. And my mom was like, Kimmy. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and then all, the, all eight of us took a photo. But you still did it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't seem like, I didn't, I feel like I didn't feel like there's anything wrong with that. But mm -hmm. you're just, it was just, you're like, let's all get together because we're all yeah, Asian. Yeah. But that's when mm -hmm. I realized like, oh, wow, I guess this is the first time that I've been surrounded by a lot of Asian people at my school. Mm -hmm. A lot, meaning eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess for me, it's hard to pinpoint an exact time where I think I was like, oh, I'm Asian American. But because I mm -hmm. remember being from very young, being from a mixed ethnic family, um, I always took a lot of pride in going to one side of the family and experiencing that culture and then going to a mm -hmm. different side and experiencing a totally different culture. And mm -hmm. I thought that was always really fun um, seeing like my different sides of the family. And I took a lot of pride in being Asian. Like I was really excited to share foods and... Mm -hmm. um, I guess looking back, it's problematic now, but I feel like Japanese culture is very fetishized. So it was mm. always a question that people were like fascinated about with like my last mm. name and stuff. But uh -huh. I think, yeah, I really can't remember a specific time when I would have thought of that identity of, as being an outsider necessarily, because mm -hmm. yeah, maybe just, I think it most likely stemmed from it was definitely mixed in a lot with just um, a lot of the normal um, insecurities that I think young women, young girls have, especially of just looking different and mm -hmm. um, like being tanner than the rest of my classmates and mm -hmm. and not necessarily connecting with a lot of people when they talked about their home life and mm -hmm. their family dynamics. So I think it was definitely a gradual process. But not something I remember being so negative as a lot of other people's experiences, I have to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, can I, what about now? Because for mm -hmm. me, so growing up in China, everyone looked like me because I'm Chinese and everyone's Chinese in China. But I, <laughs> sorry, let me redo that. <laughs> um, and then coming to Scripps. You know, it's in Southern California where I would say there's like a fairly large-ish population of of yeah. Asians in Southern mm -hmm. California. And specifically, you know, being a part of the Asian American sponsor program, I was, again, once again, surrounded by other Asian Americans or mm -hmm. Asian identifying classmates. And then going to, I guess, the East Coast where the Asian population is much lower. So specifically mm -hmm. in Boston and Delaware, Delaware specifically, like every time my parents go to a restaurant, I'm always super aware that we're the only Asian household mm -hmm. in this restaurant. In Boston, it's a little different because I live close to Chinatown mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the student population is pretty high in Boston. But I guess like I'm definitely more aware of my identity in these spaces now mm -hmm. than I was growing up. So I'm wondering if you two have similar experiences or how you two or yeah if you do have similar experiences I was actually thinking about it like in preparation for this episode like because I live in a suburb of LA and LA is very diverse mm -hmm. but the one place I grew up and primarily went to school in was very um white mm -hmm. and so like looking back like <laughs> especially now like I'm trying to connect a lot with, more with my high school friends I'm like wow I did not have a lot of Asian <laughs> friends in high school <laughs> or like mm -hmm. and I'm like why is that and then there really wasn't a lot of Asian people and I don't know if it's because I just became so normalized to that just like mm -hmm. being the only or one of very few Asian people in my class but 
yeah, I don't know. Even now, it's just so interesting how my eyes are like being opened to mm-hmm. like maybe things I'd normalize myself to because you know, I go places and I don't, that's not one thing I automatically recognize like, oh, am I the only Asian person here? Even Mm -hmm. if sometimes a lot of the times that is the case. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not because LA is so diverse. But yeah, that's something I think I'm still trying to like unpack that I learned a lot in college Mm -hmm. is maybe some of these normalizing notions of it's okay that people ask me where I'm from, like, quote, where are you actually from? Like, Mm -hmm. that that's not okay. So, um, Brittany in college, like, from what I observed, had a lot of Asian friends. So, do you think, like, like, is that true in comparison to the friends that you surrounded yourself back at home with? And if so, like, why do you think, like, why do you think basically that happened where you went to a predominantly white institution college? Yeah, like you ended up surrounding yourself with a lot of Asian friends. Mm, I think it was. It will to to say or to give context. A lot of my friend group in college was Asian. A lot of the people I interacted with were Asian, but like not specifically East Asian or not specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess pe- people that shared the same ethnic identity as I did Mm -hmm. so um I don't think our friend group was solely based on the fact that we were like Asian and it's like oh Uh like that's all band together yeah (laughs) like let's let's complain about like like our tiger moms or like that kind of thing (laughs) like that definitely was not the case Mm -hmm. I think it was just more a factor of um a lot of the groups I associated myself with and I think Annalise mm-hmm. and Kimmy obviously because I met you through similar types of groups was mm-hmm, where people mm-hmm. who were really interested in exploring our Asian or Asian American identity because a lot of my friends too came from very unique backgrounds where that wasn't something they talked about and so mm-hmm. they had shown an interest in trying to like I guess unpack or think about different aspects of their identity that they didn't really think about before so that was just more um, how we became friends was just because we both had similar interests in those kind of topics. Mm-hmm. Kimmy, I'm interested. Um, what are the types of people you surrounded yourself with growing up in a similar kind of neighborhood and how that changed in college? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, um, growing up, like the area I'm in was pretty white, but over time, as the area was like newly developed. So over time, more people started moving in that came from different backgrounds. So by the time I reached high school, my friend group was very diverse and I was very involved in student leadership, which was like a class that had 50 people in it. And we like prided ourselves on being like a really good representation of the school. So coming from that and then attending a school that is so white, like even though the school is so close to my hometown, that was mm-hmm. kind of a culture shock for me because I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, <laughs> it's just like different. And then I think on top of that, in high school, because my friends were like, came from different backgrounds, but most of them were first gen. But because everyone came from a different background, we didn't necessarily discuss race. Like it was just something that was, you know, like we were all aware of. But then attending a school where I feel like at Scripps, if you are Asian, you're more likely to be first gen. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is so Mm -hmm. interesting because I really haven't heard a lot of first gen perspectives. And that made me kind of reflect on like, oh, is this how my mom felt in school? Or like Mm -hmm. how my friends could be similar to my parents and their experiences. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's funny because kind of opposite than Brittany. In college, like, I had more of a homogeneous friend group than I did in high school. Mm. Earlier, though, when Annalise was talking about how when she's, like, in Boston or Delaware, she's the only Asian family within a restaurant sometimes, and she's very aware of that. I feel like um, last summer when I was in Portland, I was very aware Mm. of my race. Mm. Um, Portland's the whitest city in the U.S. And Really? Yeah. Yeah, oh. I know. And, and I think it's like by maybe like per capita. Mm. Um, but our intern cohort, which I think had 50 people, 
we were very diverse because we came from different parts of the U.S. and like different parts of the world. But then distinctly, when Eric came to visit, we discovered this really like cheap, uh, what is it? Hole in the wall? No, what is it called? The sushi that goes around? Revolving sushi? Yeah, oh. revolving sushi bar. <laughs> Cannot think of that name. And we we're like, oh, this is so great. But then I had heard all the rave about this other sushi place. I don't remember the name, but it was like up the street from where I lived. It's like a topped rank place. So we're like, okay, let's go there. So we go there. First of all, the sushi was so Americanized. Okay, first mm. of all, sushi in America is Americanized. But this sushi mm. was like very Americanized. Just like the stuff that they added like into it. Like cream cheese in it. And oh my stuff. gosh, when they put or cream like cheese. Mint, or, you know, they just made it very <laughs> like bougie. No, mint. Mint. Oh, I thought you said raisin. Yeah. Oh. I thought she it said was... mayo. <laughs> they do that too, though. Yeah. I don't mind um, that monster as much. <laughs> <laughs> it was just very bougie. And then mm. I was looking around. And yeah, Eric and I were like the only non-white people in there. It's like, mm. what's going on? And then I looked at the chefs. And they also were all white. And it was so overpriced. Mm. So we mm. were so over it. We got two things. <laughs> And then we were over it and we went back to our favorite revolving sushi place that <laughs> had more Asians in it and tasted better. So Kimmy, you mentioned that you were in Portland for an internship and now mm-hmm. that you've graduated, how has your identity played a role in how you've navigated adulthood or made certain decisions? Hmm. That's a good question. One that I honestly haven't reflected on much, but... I feel like if we think specifically into like career in adulthood, I would say growing up, I wasn't necessarily pressured to pursue like stereotypical Asian American career choices. Um, Mm. My parents were just like, do whatever career makes um, the money that can like fund your interests and make you happy. Mm. So it's like, okay. I guess, though, for, I think, like, within Chinese culture, the way that I've understood it is, like, family's very important. So oftentimes, like, like there's, like, multi-generational households, mm-hmm. meaning that it can mm-hmm. consist of, like, your parents, the children, and the grandparents. And a few mm-hmm. years ago, my grandma on my mom's side moved in with us. Um, but this happened when I was away back in college. So mm. being cared during quarantine this has been the first time that i've like lived with her ever um Mm. for what now like nine months so in that case i feel like she's made me more aware of being chinese american Mm. um but like once again i feel like like her expectations haven't really been put on to me but that also could be because of being in quarantine, it being COVID. Like, I feel like the stereotypical pressure to get work or pressure to move out, pressure to be successful that people might feel in the Asian community isn't necessarily there right now because, like, (laughs) there's nothing we can really do about it. We just have to all Mm -hmm. stay inside. Mm -hmm. So what about you, Brittany? How has identity played a role in how you've navigated adulthood after graduating? Um, I feel like my experience could, okay, I will say I do have a lot of guilt about this situation. I feel like living at home with my parents, I would think I would be more connected to like my culture or maybe I would, I don't know, like Kimmy, you talked about, you know, being with your grandparent or grandma. Mm -hmm. And so that has helped you. But I feel like my time in college is probably the most nourishing for (laughs) my ability to kind of navigate my identity as an Asian American Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just because like I don't I haven't experienced or learned so much about my culture being from home I haven't like talked to my parents about their experience necessarily Mm -hmm. I'm just one like some anxiety inducing thought I've had since my experience at living home is like I'm I just think about what I'm going to do for my kids to kind of mm-hmm. like how am I going to pass on my culture my pride of being an Asian American woman onto 
my children or even like future generations Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. like I don't know how that even plays out now me living at home when I'm supposed to be the most connected to my family right because I'm with them Mm -hmm. a lot more but I don't know do you feel that anxiety also or just have you Mm -hmm. like I don't know how being in quarantine anything I could have done to help explore that identity more or Mm -hmm. how I don't I basically don't see an effect of my identity in adulthood since graduating because that period of time where I would attend workshops or have conversations with people mm-hmm. who are navigating similar experiences like complete came to a complete stop mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't know I guess what are your thoughts on that or Annalise has your has your Asian American identity really played much of a role in your life since graduating so my company has employee resource groups and one of them is for the Asian community and I'm not an active member of it I am part of the mailing list um, but I don't go to the events and I feel like the reason why I don't is because I've made friends in Boston who are also um, Asian American or Mm -hmm. Asian and so I you know when we get together we celebrated Lunar New Year together we like went to one of our friends place and we um, just like all hung out and so in that sense um, I I'm still in touch of my identity through them Mm -hmm. and we all actually all we all went to international schools. So our international schools, we all like knew each other um, or had mutual friends through that. So that's something that we've kind of shared um, or connected with. Mm. And something that I something that I'm really grateful for is that we have that shared identity. And it's something that like I just feel so comfortable around them. And I'm really grateful mm-hmm. for that. Is that something that like comes up in conversation amongst mm. your friend group? No, but there was one time when, like, when me and two of my friends were walking down the street and some random white person came up to us and was, like, Asian persuasion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and my friends and I were like, wait, what? It was, like, right by Chinatown, too, which is kind of... I mean, Boston's pretty small that, like, downtown and Chinatown are right next to each other. Uh But still, we all looked at each other and were like, was he talking to us? (laughs) (laughs) Are we the Asian persuasion? (laughs) I mean, there are, like, no other Asians around, but it can't be us, right? (laughs) Like, they so look exactly they look right at you and you're like is he talking to us <laughs> yeah pretty much it was it was weird so after kind of covering some more surface level topics i just wanted to go more in depth about certain things we touched on earlier so kimmy you had mentioned that you identify as fourth generation mixed ethnicity asian american so i was wondering being fourth generation do you maybe feel like your your ties to your asian culture aren't as strong to say someone who is first generation and how have you come to terms with that Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm not like fourth generation in all of my races, as I mentioned earlier. Like I'm a multitude of different ones, um, but I definitely agree that my experience is going to be a lot different than someone else who is first generation, um, just because both of my parents were born here. And even something as simple as like language, like they were taught English growing up and don't know their native languages. In that way, yes, I, I feel like I could feel that I'm, like, less Asian than others. Mm-hmm. And there's actually really good Instagram posts, which we can link in the description below. But I wanted to read a part of it because it kind of broke down how each generation is impacted in America um, being mm-hmm. Asian. So this is specific to third gen because that's as far as they got. But they mm-hmm. said... Life as a third-gen Asian-American often comes with a certain cushion of comfort, which Mm -hmm. I feel like is very true. Like, things that maybe first-gen, like, my first-gen peers have to go through, I didn't necessarily experience those things. So, as I mentioned, something like language, like, I've heard of other friends, like, having to translate 
for their parents Mm -hmm. or in a way like having to navigate that relationship where they are the child but having to take some responsibility that typically Mm. the parent has in a western culture and that's something that I haven't experienced because like I mentioned my parents grew grew up here they're very like acclimated with the culture or something that Mm -hmm. we touched on in the last episode with like talking politics with family how that could be difficult and like once again Mm -hmm. that's something that I necessarily haven't necessarily experienced I think this ties in a little bit with Asians and social media like when subtle Asian traits was formed a few years ago a lot of the criticism that the platform was getting was that it was primarily geared to like Chinese American Mm -hmm. or Chinese international students and that's something that I felt as well like there's a lot of posts that I just couldn't relate to because I didn't Mm -hmm. one understand Mm -hmm. them or two like get the context of them even if they were in English Is that something like, is that something that you felt sad about? Or, and like you mentioned earlier, you didn't have to go through maybe the struggles of a first gen Mm -hmm. person, which in theory is like a good thing. But do you feel like conflict with like not necessarily identifying with other people who are also Asian American and like, I don't know, I guess feel Mm -hmm. less connected to that culture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, um, being in college surrounded by people that were Asian, but that were first gen, like that was very mm-hmm. different for me. Um, I'm like trying to pinpoint exact examples, mm-hmm. but maybe just like relationships with parents, like um, just mm-hmm. like stereotypically first gen parents could be stricter than like mine were um, or have not as um of course this is like stereotyped like more of like a hierarchical relationship when I felt like that stuff that I didn't experience um I guess to like be blunt do you feel like you can say like them Asian American is such an umbrella term but mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. because you don't share a lot of experiences with people you associated with do you feel like am I Asian American or like can I Mm -hmm. like it's not necessarily correct to equate your two experiences because you recognize it's so different Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's very true I would say like initially I definitely did equate like my experience to be the same as someone that is first gen but I think over time Mm -hmm. I learned that that's just not the case at all um Mm -hmm. but I do consider myself to be like Asian American because that's how mm. I identify. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that is important for myself and for others to like recognize your privilege and like then use your privilege to help others. Well, mm. Kimmy, just again, not to be blunt or anything, but do you feel mm-hmm. guilty at all about your identity mm-hmm. or I guess just being fourth generation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like no. I mean, just because, like, those aren't things that I could have necessarily controlled. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't have controlled how I was brought up. Like, this is just right. who I am. And I can reflect back on it now and say, like, oh, maybe this is how that informed my identity. But I can't mm-hmm. necessarily undo it. So I guess a way that I can now be proactive is, like, mm-hmm. seeking out things to learn more about my culture. So I think that was – that definitely influenced my decision in high school to learn Mandarin, which I now know little to none of. And then <laughs> in college, like learning Japanese um, mm-hmm. and then studying abroad in Japan. Mm-hmm. So I think in that way, like I've tried to stay in touch with my culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think it's also kind of like complicated because my Japanese side is pretty diluted. And then my Chinese side, it's technically like, hong kong chinese and Mm -hmm. that is like different than china Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yes in that way it's like hard to grasp of like what asian really is to me if Mm -hmm. that makes sense Mm -hmm. so do you feel connected to one asian identity more than the other and i guess Brittany, i'm also in ways asking you because i know you also identify as both japanese and um filipinx Mm. I mean, it's so hard because technically I'm more 
Chinese and Japanese. So in that way, I'm like, yes, I should identify with that more. But because Mm. at least more recently, like going to Japan and being there for a long time and studying the language, in that way, I could feel more in touch with my culture. But now that I'm back home and my Chinese grandma's with us 24-7, like she plays that influence. Mm. Um, So I feel like, Mm -hmm. yes, there's definitely been phases in my life where I identify with with one over another. But generally, it's been pretty even. I think for me, I would have to say it kind of shifted like growing up. I think I I mentioned a lot of people are when they think of Asian culture, I would say they would think like Chinese or Japanese and like with a specific interest in Japanese culture just because of like the pop culture influence Mm -hmm. in America. So in the beginning, I would think I would try to connect more with my Japanese side just because, I don't know, maybe that appealed to more people. Mm. But I think, so growing up and even now, I think I'm a lot closer to my Filipinx identity just because I was involved in more orgs related to that. And more mm-hmm. of my friends also identified as Filipinx. Mm. So I think that's definitely influenced my ties to the culture. Mm-hmm. Also, my dad moved here when he was very young and became very acclimated to American culture Mm -hmm. and my Japanese grandparents didn't speak English very well and Mm -hmm. my grandmother in the case she didn't speak English at all basically Mm -hmm. so I felt very disconnected with that side and it's kind of sad to say because it's like you're discounting like half of your identity essentially when you do Mm -hmm. say you identify with one more than the other but I don't know. That's definitely something I tried. To, I've thought about a lot. Mm-hmm. Annalise, you had mentioned you grew up a lot in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Would you say, be growing up amongst um, other Chinese um, people, you're more connected to your culture than other first generation Asian Americans? Um, I think that's hard to answer just because I don't really know a lot of first generation Chinese Americans because mm-hmm. my friends, my friends in Boston, they're also international students mm-hmm. in this in the sense that they were part of the same circle of international schools that my school was in. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to compare my experience with other first generation um, Chinese Americans just because I was born in the States, yes, but I grew up completely in China. So I don't really know how, what their experiences for those who grew up in the States was like. Mm -hmm. But I will say though, I think I growing up was definitely more American than I was Chinese, white American, because Mm -hmm. I was very much immersed in US pop, pop culture, not so much the local culture in China in the sense that like I don't really know a lot of big Chinese celebrities mm-hmm. and or a lot of um, Chinese music like I know the big names but they weren't it wasn't really something that I watched or listened to growing up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how did that make you feel when you didn't know something that maybe was expected of you growing up in China pretty shameful if I'm being completely honest about it I think I definitely took advantage of being in China growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not 100% fluent. Like, I definitely can't hold a conversation. If it, we were talking about business or technology, I can have, like, day-to-day conversations with people in mm-hmm. Mandarin. Um, I can have, like, those type. But if we were to get into specifics of, like, te- technical terms of certain issues like technology or business, I wouldn't know what's happening or politics i wouldn't really Mm -hmm. know how to converse in that way Mm -hmm. um and my friends in boston they they definitely knew like chinese pop culture more than i did or at least growing up and so you know hanging out with them and them like singing chinese songs i definitely feel like ashamed because i i did have the chance to be a part of that culture i just didn't really immerse myself in it and it, it we call it like a bubble or at least like my school very much was in this bubble where 
yes, we were in Shanghai. Yes, we um, our school was literally in like a gated area. Like our school mm. had gates and mm. it was a lot of the students there. They lived right next to the school like they would bike to school. Mm. And so you very much could get by attending the school that I did without speaking any Mandarin at all. Mm. Um, and so it, it's like a very interesting way to grow up, I think, just mm. because you are in China, you are in Shanghai, but you can, it's so easy to get by and not actually immerse yourself in the culture and the language. Yeah. Um, it's actually really funny because I remember growing up, my parents, when they first came to China, they were like, oh my God, our kids are going to not know how to speak English. But mm. then it became really clear that they were like, oh my goodness, our kids are not going to know how to speak Mandarin. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was really interesting, I think, mm-hmm. for my parents. And I'd, I, I'm curious to know also like how they feel about the whole situation. Yeah. Just because like we are super um, Americanized in that sense, even though we did mm-hmm. grow up in China. Mm-hmm. Would you say then that most of your like cultural upbringing didn't necessarily come from growing up in China, but came from growing up in your household with your family? Um, I no, I still think like part of my upbringing was influenced by being in China. Um, mm-hmm. Like we celebrated um, the Lunar New Year, we celebrated Mid Autumn mm-hmm. Festival, and it was always like a huge deal, right? Because mm-hmm. um, in China, like during those times it was always huge and so you you were still immersed in the culture in that sense and you know you had like lanterns you had like fireworks and like the fireworks were huge in lunar new year like during the like the western year it was like a couple but so it was like very much you i grew up in that environment of celebrating mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. really big holidays and big traditions Mm-hmm. And I think like that's something that I've kind of carried over with me. It's yeah. like one of my favorite holidays. I think is actually Mid Autumn Festival because there's like mm-hmm. that story of of this woman who was in the moon, and it's like one of my favorite stories. Mm-hmm. So something I've thought about, especially in the space of adulthood and looking to the future, mm-hmm. is how. Maybe I would want to pass on my culture or foster an Asian identity in my children or future generations. So I was wondering mm. if you two have any thoughts on that and maybe any ideas. <laughs> yeah, something that I really, something that I've really thought about is like me growing up in China was like a really great experience. Mm. And part of me actually is curious, like. Mm. I might want to raise my kids in Asia. Oh. Um, maybe not like for all 18 years, but like mm-hmm. for a good chunk of their of their life. Because it, it's not only great in like in terms of opening up, op- educating them in the culture, but I think it also being in like an international school, you are still like you still have a bunch of different um, cultures that you interact with that I think Mm -hmm. it it will just help them become more open-minded as well Mm -hmm. so some ideas that I've like juggled around my head is like sending my kids um, or like moving to Asia and putting my kids in international school like I did Mm -hmm. or um having my my parents speak to them only in Mandarin oh um and like just from like a young age really embracing both western and eastern holidays I think is a big Mm -hmm. one for me Mm-hmm. that's great i feel like you have it so planned out already <laughs> like i have no <laughs> idea <laughs> same i mean it depends like i like i can't just like up and move to asia i need to figure out yeah, a game plan for that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. it's nice in theory yeah definitely yeah yeah i guess for me um like i would love if they could learn the language but i could understand that that is a lot harder like they would probably have to go to the typical Saturday school, um, <laughs> which I know a lot of kids hate. But I think, too, it depends on, like, who I end up with in mm. the long term. Like, mm. if I end up with someone that doesn't identify with my race, then I will be the primary person, like, explaining mm. my race to the kids. And mm. I guess, like, no matter though who I end up with, I think something – that I would like to do is like when my kids are learning a certain curriculum, 
um, being able to make sure that it's like supplemented by external <laughs> resources because a lot of what's taught like history wise in our education mm. system is not necessarily the best and comes from like one point of view. Mm-hmm. So making sure that they're getting like a really holistic experience there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think those are just small things, but I can't necessarily think of any other things to help my culture stay intact besides like mm-hmm. food. Like that's basic. <laughs> But Kimmy, would you, if you like had them learn the language, wouldn't you also have to become more fluent? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I know. Like, I, was, yeah. I was thinking about that too. I was like, I mean, language is a big thing for me because mm-hmm. I don't, I took one semester of Japanese and forgot everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh God, does that mean I'll have to like learn my respective languages in order to pass that on, which I'm sure is the case. Mm-hmm. I'd still want them to learn personally. You teach your kids, Annalise? Nope. I would. Oh, oh you, your parents. <laughs> probably send them somewhere. <laughs> or like my parents, yeah. I, I have like a, I would not be surprised if my kids are more fluent in Mandarin than I am. And I really pretty sure I'm okay with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because again, like I can hold like, I can have like conversations with relatives mm-hmm. and like people, but I wouldn't be surprised if like, if, if I would be oh, totally okay to if like, they ended up learning like very big fancy words in Mandarin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that, like passing it on to my kids also starts with me. So I don't know, maybe at one point in my life, I'll need to stay extended periods of time in mm. a d- different country because, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like I don't really know. I guess I could talk to my family members more. And that has been helpful so far. I think that's where I've gotten a lot of like a grasp of like Filipino or Japanese culture mm-hmm. is like hearing their experiences. But I don't know what the best alternative to I don't know if there's a, like another better alternative to than to like solely live in a different country or yeah. mm-hmm. to experience that culture at least. Mm-hmm. Kimmy, you brought on the point of like finding a. a- like it depends on your partner too. No, mm-hmm. oh. I'm just curious. Like, how big it, does that play? Does finding a partner who shares mm-hmm. your culture how important is that to you? If if it is at all, mm-hmm. yeah, because you could still do those things. Yeah, even if they didn't you identify, could. correct? Mm-hmm. I think it would just be harder, or like it'd be mm-hmm. more of a balance of like mm-hmm. let's say it's a completely new culture. Then for me, mm-hmm. that's like maybe four to six <laughs> like you know like a total of like four to six of course some will become more diluted but wait, wait four to six, six what oh, like i'm already three cultures right oh I so see. if there's another person oh, that had one to three see, then that's four to six that's a lot to balance you know i gotta start prioritizing mm. prioritizing <laughs> well, i mean you can't do all perfectly mm. would you try to do like all you said you had three would you try to like immerse or like introduce your kids to like all three of your different backgrounds? I think so. I mean, the best that I could. Mm-hmm. Like, I do think I, like kids are nice. No, keep going. Oh, just like because like my Mexican side is pretty diluted. Like I'm not sure how much I could educate them on that. But like mm-hmm. if my partner was Mexican and mm. they felt willing to <laughs> be the educator, then mm-hmm. go ahead. <laughs> When I initially started to date, I wasn't like looking for someone with a similar background to me. Um, Mm -hmm. But something that was just like out of chance, like Eric and I being a similar mix, has actually been very helpful in our relationship. And I know Mm -hmm. that some people in relationships are concerned about like having to be the primary one to do all the educating. Mm -hmm. And that hasn't been Mm -hmm. the case. And I think that would be hard for me. So even if I was with someone else who wasn't the same background for me, I think I would expect them to at least be willing to do that learning on mm-hmm. their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess because I I am... Am I looking? <laughs> I'm single. <laughs> and so I don't have a partner. So I guess like what I do look for in a partner is like, it it definitely would be nice to have someone who has a similar identity or cultural background as me just because we, we will instantly have that connection um, more or less or like common 
background. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess like it's also hard for me because what I see or like it's hard because like there's just so much surrounding like Asian fetish fetishizing mm-hmm. Asian women that mm-hmm. I it's hard for me to decide if like the person that I'm that I may date is is doing this because they're generally interested in me and my culture or is if it's because they have a fetish and that's like something that I mm. think about sometimes but yeah I think again to like Kimmy your point I think like if my partner didn't have the same race as I did I want them to at least be open and be willing to learn and be o- okay with me passing that on to our kids I, I, they better be okay with me passing it on to them <laughs> I will make that happen <laughs> we are moving to Shanghai now <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I've actually heard this um, a good bit from people in terms of finding partners of similar backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because um, I grew up with a mixed ethnic background. Mm-hmm. I'm a lot more open to mm-hmm. having someone who wasn't the same identity as me. Mm-hmm. Like I, That was like one of the things I loved about childhood is just having so access mm-hmm. to like two completely different cultures. Mm-hmm. And so... My partner is Asian American, but he's Chinese American. Mm. And I feel like even though they're we're both Asian, there's definitely like cultural differences mm-hmm. that I'm for the most I can't think of actually of anything that I would be like upset to explain or like find laborious to explain to him because mm. I don't know, I feel like some people I, I do understand is some people don't want all that burden on themselves to educate the other in order for them to like connect on a deeper level. But I feel like it's something I take a lot of pride in, like almost like I'm bragging about like, oh, look at this cool thing that mm-hmm. um, is specific to my family mm-hmm. or so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I feel like that's something I think is really interesting um, how different people approach that topic mm-hmm. yeah so normally at the end of our episodes we have a segment where we talk about some advice or just overall tips we thought of related to the topic but us not being experts at being asian american this is a little bit more tricky to do so we're gonna end the episode instead by just saying one thing that we've um, kind of just reflected on. Mm-hmm. So mine would have to be, um, I think unpacking identity is just always going to be a continuous journey mm-hmm. and there are going to be highs and lows to those parts. Mm-hmm. But I still think it's important to recognize that there's no end point to knowing your identity as mm-hmm. whatever background you are. Yeah. So um it's important just to kind of just be open to learning about new things and know that you will always be learning about things continuously. Mm -hmm. My thing would have to be that it is difficult. It can be difficult to find resources or communities where you can continue to explore your identity. One thing that I've found helpful is to support Asians and Asian American artists in media that includes like music, film, Mm -hmm. books, just literally anything. Mm -hmm. That's great. I think one thing I've been reflecting on throughout this episode is that I feel like my life is very compartmentalized. So Mm -hmm. beyond this episode and like beyond being involved in our Asian American sponsor program at school, I haven't like critically thought about race and how that plays a role Mm. in my life. So I think for me, something I want to start to do is like investigating those intersections between my identities and understanding Mm. how they influence my life. Mm. So we've made it to episode five. We just wanted to thank you all for leaving comments, reviews, and supporting us on Instagram as well as on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't yet, you can download the Apple Podcast app and leave a review and rating. That really helps with the search algorithm. If you haven't yet, you can follow us at Adulthood Pending Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn. We're at Adult Pending Pod on Twitter. 
You can also send us an email to hello.adulthoodpendingpodcast at gmail.com. Join us every other Monday for new episodes. We're excited to continue to share our stories and we're glad that you're with us on our adulthood journey. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye.